Welcome to Season 3 of the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Episode 3, and it is the Rebel Startup Method. Simon and I, my business partner, have been talking for years about the different elements of starting a business and how to get going quickly. This episode is designed to bring it all together. So by the end of the episode, you are going to clearly see how the elements of starting for free, mini experiments, evaluating the mini experiments, and how to get going all fit together in one simple rebel startup method. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to episode three, The Rebel Startup Method, and I have my business partner with me, Simon Payne. Welcome to the show, Simon Payne. Alan, I'm confused. You didn't give me any abuse at the start of this thing. It's like so nice to see you and hear you. <laughs> it is so good to see you too. I've been looking forward to this for a long time now, and I didn't give you any abuse. But I was in Colombia recently talking to someone, and I was explaining, I was chatting to you, and the word for Spanish for partner is el socio, but I got it slightly wrong, and I called you el sucio which instead of saying you're the partner, I said you're the dirty. <laughs> I love that. And that has now become what I call you to my Spanish friends. I'm going to chat to my sucio. Uh, <laughs> Can I get a T-shirt made of that? El when I come and join you in Colombia, I'm going to walk around with that T-shirt. <laughs> my Spanish has got me into so much trouble over the years, Simon. I really do need to work on my pronunciation. And one letter does make a difference. It clearly does, Alan. <laughs> so why are we doing this, Simon? What are we here for? Why are we doing? What's going on? I think one of the questions I get asked quite a lot is, okay, so you teach an alternative way of starting a business. Why are you doing that? Because don't you write a business plan to start a business? And don't you need money to start a business? <laughs> and I, I go, I've got two options. I either go, look, sit down, let's have a coffee and I'll take you through it. or I'm going to get you to ring my business partner and say these words. I'm going to borrow money to write my business plan and start a business. Simon said that I should tell you about it because you'll be really happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, right, like, let's have an option three. Let's have an awesome podcast episode that actually takes everybody through our thinking end to end so that you can see a startup, the Rebel Startup Method in its entirety. Because lots of people that I work with, like, they, you know what it's like, they come on our course and sometimes they want to see like an overview end to end of this thing. They enjoy us taking them through it step by step, but sometimes you just need to see it all in a helicopter view. And that's what I'm excited to, to share with everybody. Absolutely. And we've recorded five ways to start a business with no money. We've recorded how to run a mini experiment. We've recorded all those different elements, but we've never slotted it together on the podcast into a process. So that's the plan for today to take you straight through from the start on all of those different bits. And if you're listening to this in order, you will have just listened to episode two of season three, which is Christian Bryce from Millennial Revolution, who decided to go deep on my backstory and why I started with Simon, the Rebel Business School, and 
it was all about the story of my dad and the debt. And he went bankrupt for three and a half million pounds, borrowed against the family home, which I spent 10 years fighting to keep. And that for me is one of the main problems with entrepreneurship is the debt that it is assumed you need to be in to start a business. And that's the assumption across the world that it takes money to make money, that you have to have money first, that you need to spend all your savings, borrow from your family, go to the bank, raise capital, all of these different things. That's the assumption. And that's actually one of the biggest problems you and I have been fighting against for the last 10 years, Simon. You know, the two things that jump into my head when you say that, Alan, the first is the conversation I have with people is that when I say to people, oh, my business partner and I met when he complained about a government-funded business advisory service because they said he needed a business plan and he needed money to start a business, right? And what I say to people is that my business partner is is white, he's middle class, he comes from a background of a decent education, he's got a smart and full-time working big hitter job wife he's very resourceful he's got a bunch of ideas if the approach to starting a business that we teach across the world in colleges and universities and so on if starting a business via business plan and funding is putting alan off what's it doing for everybody else who isn't starting from a place of privilege and i think that's to me is the is the critical bit of this model is that it's about making it possible for anyone to start a business regardless of what your starting point is. And that's the real genius of the experiment model. Yes. So we don't care where you are in the world, what your starting point is, how much money you owe or don't, or whether you have a job or not. We do not care. This method is to help you get going. And with all that posturing done, let's get into it, Simon. The rebel process. What's the first step? Where are we starting this? With coffee? (laughs) <laughs> or we, are we, we going to skip coffee and go straight? I know you'll you'll get a bit. I know you need coffee and you like coffee, but I know you have this unreasonable sense of urgency to get things done. So we should probably skip the coffee and dive right in. So I guess it starts with an idea, doesn't it? It starts with an idea, either an idea, you know, you know, a specific idea. I think I'm interested in in selling this thing. I've got this idea about how I could make money. Or there are a smaller number of people that we meet who go. I've got an idea that I want to start a business, but I've got no idea exactly what I do yet. You know, I think those are the two directions, but essentially it's an idea, isn't it? Or do you think something else? No, it's an idea. You you need an idea. You can't sell a non-idea, although I'd like to try now I've said that. (laughs) You'd need something. You need some kind of an idea. And we've spoken a lot about coming up with ideas, innovation, creativity on this podcast. And actually, if you want a little bit more about creativity, episode eight of season two is with Travis Shakespeare, who is the senior vice president of unscripted programming for BBC Studios Los Angeles. He's an Emmy award winning TV maker and his creative process, how he thinks about creativity is a fantastic episode. You need some kind of an idea. We've spoken lots about different ways to come up with those ideas. One of my favorites still, and actually the genesis of our current business, Simon, I've nicknamed the rant method, which is find something you don't like and rant about it. Rant about what's wrong, what's not working, why it's wrong, and 
you don't rant for too long. I'm talking like 20 minutes. Have a rant, get it off your chest, and then work out how to make it better. And if there is a problem, there is a solution somewhere in there that we can sell to someone. So the rant method is one of my favorite ways to come up with ideas. You say just a 20-minute rant. Well, I was getting excited. <laughs> like a, if I could have a, like a six-month go at something, like I'm, I'm rolling my sleeves up. But, <laughs> but you want to get to sales quicker, don't you? Yeah, I've had a 10-year go and rant at the way businesses have started. But at least I've sold some stuff in the meantime. But the rant process is one way to come up with idea. The second way, which you and I always talk about, we ask the question, what excites you? What gets you going? What gets you buzzing? What do you feel good about? There's so many different questions to get you exploring what fills you with joy. And I don't think there has ever been a time in history that it is easier to make money doing something you love. I love that. And the thought you just triggered, Alan, was the third one, which I've been playing with recently, which is the doorstep method of ideas. So what I mean by that is what's on your doorstep, both in terms of your locality, like your neighbours, your community, the people around you, but also in terms of virtually, you know, who's on your doorstep on your social media accounts? Because I bet there's something, there's some commonality between the people that you used to work with, the people that are in your friends and family network and so on, that I bet they're facing a problem, a challenge. And one of the things that, that strikes me about that is that you're starting with your immediately available sales opportunities you know people that you could actually sell something to because they're right there and it might and we'll get into experiments in a moment but it's very unlikely you're going to go from zero to fully functioning brilliant business in one step (laughs) if you do that two things are going to happen one i'm going to say well done i'm very happy for you and secondly i'm going to be really pissed off because it's taken me 20 years of experimenting to get to the business models the ideas the sales that i really want so so you know in terms of experiment who's right next to you right now you don't even necessarily have to have an idea yet but spotting the people that are around you might generate that idea for you i love that and this is actually where it gets quite difficult for us to turn this into a process and give that very concrete advice to everyone because everyone's in different places. And you and I like to talk about the three types of entrepreneurs. You're probably listening to this now and you fit into one of these categories. But these are the three types of entrepreneurs who come along to our courses. Type one is, I've got so many ideas, I don't know where to start. And we've met a lot of these characters, we might be some of them, over the years um, (laughs) that come along to us with, I've got 25 ideas for a business. And they're paralyzed by the volume of ideas they have. Type number two is, I've always wanted to start a restaurant since I was 17. I'm now 57 and I still haven't done it. That's the one idea I have. That's the only thing that works for me. I'm absolutely stuck on. It has to be a restaurant in this location with this size, with this sign. I've got my one idea and I've been thinking about it for decades. That's the second type of entrepreneur. They've always wanted to do something. And the third is, I want to be my own boss. Don't like working in corporate world. I don't like what I'm doing currently. I want to be my own boss, but I just don't know what to do. I have, don't have an idea. I don't know where to start. They normally do have some ideas, Simon, but they refuse to accept them as actual ideas. They're more general feelings of I'd like to be involved in this or that or the other. But they're the people who come along and I have to say, I have no ideas. So the three types, I've got too many ideas. 
I've got one idea I'm stuck on and have never started, and I don't know where to start with ideas. Those tend to be the three that come along. Yeah, I think like, and with that third category, the reason I think what I find super interesting is the reason why people are in that spot. Sometimes it's a, it's an urgent need for entrepreneurship. Like we've met a whole bunch of people over the years that go, like I'm not quite sure where to begin here, but I need to make my own money. This isn't about oh, I want to be my own boss. It's like, I can't get a job or I can't get a job because of my personal circumstances or I don't want a job because my mental health means that I couldn't hold a job down. So what I'm here for is figuring out a way that I can make my own income and building it around the different circumstances that I've got in my life. And I think that's super important to think about. So the first part of this is you need an idea. So use the rant method, the doorstep method, the what excites you method. Listen to episode eight of season two with Travis Shakespeare and focus on coming up with an idea. Actually, focus on coming up with about 20 ideas. And one of the challenges I like to give people, if you're stuck at this stage, here's the challenge for you. I want you to write three possible business ideas every single day. They don't have to be good. (laughs) They can be anything. You can be walking down to the shops and you can see milk delivered by the milkman and it's never delivered on time and it's not very good. And you could go, I'm going to do a milk delivery business for my street. Doesn't have to be a good idea, just has to be an idea. And what you're doing is training your brain to start capturing ideas and looking for opportunities. And if you do that consistently and regularly, at the end of the week, you'll have 21 different business ideas. And there might be one good one in there. At the end of the month, you might have 90 business ideas and there might be one or two that you're actually going, yeah, like this, this is actually quite good. You train your brain to come up with those ideas. So that would be my challenge to you on this one is write down three ideas a day. They do not have to be good. Just write them down, collect them, which then brings us on to, Simon, how do you choose? This can be some of the hardest part. This has held us up at stages. How do you actually choose idea evaluation? And I've remember plenty of times where we've been sat in cafes, stacks of post-it notes, scales, trying to work things out. I love that. Yeah. I'm still stuck on the previous one. And I'm thinking only three ideas a day. I've got about 27 every 10 minutes. And that, that, this, this is not about showing off. This is not about showing off. This is about me going, oh, the idea evaluation bit. This is the bit I find the hardest. <laughs> idea generation. That's that's the bit I find easy. Like if anyone's stuck for business ideas, drop me a message on social media. I'll give you four hundred ideas in twenty minutes. <laughs> that is it. Like this is not the bit I struggle with. The bit that I struggle with is evaluation. I think this is super important and one of the things that that does hold people back. And we end up walking around with all these business ideas in our heads, frustrated because none of them are happening because we're not committing. So I think this is a really important part of the process. And something that, frankly, Alan, this is the only time I'll say this on the podcast, you're much better at than me. (laughs) Thank you very much, Led. Please note that in your diaries right now. Um, Patrick, please delete the last bit because it's not... Patrick, keep that in. (laughs) Patrick's the podcast manager and editor, by the way, just so you know. And I think, Simon, here's the bit that I've really realised is there's no right answer. And I think people don't understand this. They don't get this. They are putting pressure on themselves to choose what's the one idea I'm going to do for the rest of my life. What's the right answer to this question? There is no right answer. There is none. You could be successful doing A, B or C. 
you get to decide and it doesn't matter. And also, if you do one for five years, let's say you start a business when you're 40. Let's say you're listening to this and you're 40. I'm 43. Let's say you start a business when you're 40. You do it for five or six years. You make some good money. You're 46. Could you start another one? Like there's no one idea. You could have five successful businesses by the time you get to 55. You could do all sorts of things. And I think this is the fundamental crux of the problem of choosing is what is the right answer? How do I make it perfect? And I'm committing to this for the rest of my life. And one final element, Simon, is the traditional way of starting a business is very risky. So if you write a business plan for two weeks, borrow a huge amount of money, spend it all, go heavily into debt, well, you better choose the right idea. Because if you do not choose the right idea, you are screwed. Absolutely, totally and utterly screwed. You're in debt, you owe money, you can't get out of it, and you are in a mess. So there's huge pressure from society in the world to make the right, in inverted commas, choice. And Simon, how do you feel about my slapdash method of choosing ideas and starting? Uh, maybe we should just call this the slapdash startup method. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> I'm not sure that's it. positive branding, <laughs> slapdash startup. <laughs> yeah, no, but I tell you what, I tell you why, there's a few reasons why it's so brilliant, Alan, and I'm not just saying that because it's you and me and all that, but I tell you, like it is, abs- like it just happened this weekend and I saw traditional thinking in action and it almost ruined the family Christmas because oh, no. I'm like, I'm oh, rolling no. up my sleeves going, okay, okay. Do I let, dive let, in? Let me give you my view on this. And I tell you what it is, right? There's someone in my family who's got this idea that she wants to make some chutney, you know, like kind of, uh, you know, kitchen table kind of business. And what do you call it? Oh, artisan. That's the word I'm looking for. So like an artisan chutney business. And one of the comments around the table was, I don't know if that's a scalable idea. I don't know if that's uh, going to work. Yeah, right? You know what I mean? Scalable. Everyone says, is this scalable? That's like yeah, yeah. the drive. And that's yeah. almost like, it's, the, <laughs> it's the question people ask to sound like they know what they're doing. It's like, I don't know anything about starting a business. I've never started a business. Is it scalable? And it's like some kind of showing off. I know what I'm, I want to swear right now. <laughs> My family are looking at me going, why is Simon cleared off the entire dining table with his arm? Why is why he... Has he gone red? Yeah. Why has he gone bright red? Why is he red throwing the family crystal at the wall? I don't understand. <laughs> right. So here's, like, here's the thing that goes through my head. I think a moment like that, the chance of you going from I've never run a business before to I'm running a successful, scalable business that's paying me enough money to pay all my bills in one step is just non-existent it doesn't happen i think what you were saying a minute ago about oh is it idea a is it idea b idea b is it idea c and the, the fact that that doesn't matter you can be successful with all three you won't know what the successful direction looks like until you take the first few steps on that path and i think that's where the traditional method is wrong in the sense that you know, you're going from zero to business plan to either borrowing money or using hard-earned savings to launch. And it's not starting a business is not a three-step process. That's the bit that, that's killing me here. Actually, the steps in the process, there's about 20. And, you know, it's sort of recognizing this is the key to the method. 
The key to this startup method is recognizing where you're actually at, not where you wish you were at, because those scaling conversations, those planning your business conversations, like these are important conversations to have in year five. But the first maybe 10 where we are now. Exactly. (laughs) Like we're even about to write something down, Alan. Like. Don't write a business plan. Come on. Look, We've never done that. Look, I, I hate to break it to you, but we have got a document now, which is all about our budgets for next year, Alan. Like, it's the first time it's happened. I know. <laughs> I know. And it's actually really important, just not at the start. And I think that's what people get confused about our method. I am not saying that writing a business plan is never a good thing. I'm not saying that writing stuff down is never a good thing. I agree, writing notes down. But when you're starting, the notes are, what am I selling? Who am I selling it to? And what's the price? And then go and have a go. It's not a formal 20-page document. You know the thing that kills me, Simon? The thing that everyone says, the size of the market in the UK is 27 billion. If I can just secure 1% of that, I'll be a millionaire next year, Rodney. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's not a business yet, is it? Because it's not a business until you know that you're fully invested in it and you don't know that until you've done a bit. And that's exactly what I said to someone in my family. Let's go make some chutney and even better, like go sell some chutney. And if you sell any, then make it and see if you like the experience. And she said, well, what do you mean sell it? Well, so do you know that thing where you ring up all of your friends and family members and you send WhatsApp messages and text messages and Facebook posts and you say, hey, I'm thinking of starting a business. I'm making an artisan chutney. It's the best chutney you'll ever taste. How many jars would you like kind of message? And if you get some some nibbles, if you get some people committing their money. Excuse the pun. (laughs) (laughs) Then, uh, you know, then it's time to make some chutney. And at the end of that process... Was it enjoyable or not? My ex ran a cake business because she loves making cakes. Now, loving making cakes is very different to loving a business making cakes. You know, after sort of six weeks of sending the kids to school covered in icing sugar and having to clean the kitchen four times a day, suddenly the cake business didn't seem so much fun. And that's where it stopped. But she wouldn't have known that if she hadn't have taken those steps. Do you know what I mean? Which actually now we're bridging on to the mini experiment. So let's just clear the process. Step one, come up with a bunch of ideas. Step two, choose an idea, which we're going to give you our scales to do that in a second. And then step three is once you've chosen that idea, run a mini experiment, which Simon has just sort of described, which is selling something and having a go. So going back to step two, the idea of valuation, Simon and I quite often use the scales of will it make money and am I excited to do it? Those tend to be the two scales. And we draw out sort of a a scale left to right, naught to 10. Will it make money? Nor is it's not going to make money any day soon, and it's quite tough. 10 is it's going to make money quickly, and it'll make a lot. And then on the other scale, up and down, we have naught to 10. How excited am I to have a go with this? Like, does it fill me with joy and energy and pumped all the way down to zero of I'm actually not excited? And people have ideas like this. So I had a friend that one of the ideas was he was an IT consultant and he goes, well, I can set up my own consultancy. That idea, I don't like it. (laughs) It's not very exciting. It's not what I want to do, but it'll make me lots of money. So there are ideas that fit on that end of the scale. And then what Simon and I do is we tend to look for the ones in the upper right quadrant that are 
it's going to make us some cash because you have to pay the mortgage. We need to buy pizza and Lego. Well, that's only if you're me. You need to buy food. You need to buy accommodation and stuff. So will it make money? And am I excited to do it? And that tends to be the way. And it's a quick and dirty measure. It's quick. El Sucio will tell you all about that. But it's quick and dirty. Choose an idea and then get straight onto the next stage. And I think for me, Simon, it's about speed here. I'm sorry, I still can't get past the fact that you've told everyone in Colombia that my name is Dirty. <laughs> <laughs> it's so close to El Socio. <laughs> hey, there's one thing I'd add to your scale, Alan. Um, just bringing this back before you uh, destroy my reputation in, in two continents. <laughs> the thing about the the real genius i think of that evaluation method so you, you're you're rating your ideas against how much it excites you versus you know how likely are you how able are you to make money out of it there is another part of this process which is you might find an idea that really excites you but doesn't look like you're going to make any money there is an extra layer of creativity that you could put on that to go how can i simplify this how can i how can I push this into the top right quadrant? And similarly, there might be an idea like your friend who's like running a consultancy or, or had a consultancy idea. You go, I can make money out of this because it's what I know, but it doesn't excite me. How could I turn this into something that lights me up? There's a lovely question. And as we keep repeating, the quality of the question determines the quality of the answer. So if you ask a quality question as you're going through this process, it can open up your mind to possibilities that you never thought existed. Sometimes you do need someone else to ask you those questions. So if you have friends, family members, get them to listen to the episodes where I talk about questions and then get them to ask you some questions about your business. Not questions such as, why are you doing this? <laughs> and so how are you actually going to make money? And how is this scalable? Not those type of questions, but the one Simon's just asked. Cool. How could we 10x the fun in this business? How can we make money and enjoy the process? How can we delight the customers whilst charging good money? There's some questions that will get you thinking about ideas. I've got one for you, Alan. I'm holding a gun to your head. And if you don't choose your favorite business idea in the next 30 seconds, I'm going to press the trigger. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Too much? Right. Uh, no, I quite like it because a little bit of pressure to get people off the sidelines. I think I actually said this to you a few years ago. It's a saying that really hit me. It's stop thinking, start doing. I use it all the time. Yeah. Stop thinking, start doing. People, people spend years thinking about the idea. <laughs> you can probably hear the frustration in my voice. They literally spend years thinking about the idea. And I'm like, well, there's no point thinking about it. You've got to try it. The only way you will know is by doing it. And the learnings and the process will unfold in the action of doing. So stop thinking and start doing, which leads beautifully on to running a mini experiment, which you alluded to in the chutney example, Simon. Yeah. And I think this is the key really, isn't it? Because behind your sentence stop thinking start doing behind that is the the real essence of running an experiment which is dial back your idea to something that you can start right now choose one product or service stick it in front of an audience that are most likely to buy it and take some action to get them to, to buy it from you 
and buying in advance even better because you're using your customers' money. And I think stop thinking, start doing for me means get your idea to a point that you could start it right now. I love that, Simon. And if you want more on the unexpected power of mini experiments, episode seven, season one, Simon and I unpack the biggest barriers to starting a business and we give you all the tools to overcome them, including mini experiments. And then in season two, we actually delved a lot more into mini experiments right after the creativity episode with Travis Shakespeare. We did from ideas to reality, mini experiments too with Simon. We did one on what happens if a mini experiment fails with Michael Redford and evaluating mini experiments, how to know they worked. And there's a whole process around mini experiments. But let's do the highlight of this, Simon, which I think for me, the very headline is the word experiment, which that's the word for me that sets people free because does it have to go right if you're experimenting? Like if you're experimenting, it might go badly. It might go wrong, but that's okay. It was an experiment. We learned something. Whereas if you're starting a business, well, it had better go right and there's a lot of pressure. And so if you set it up with that word experiment, that really does change the focus of where you're going. And you could even take the top three ideas that you've got and run a mini experiment on each before deciding which one you want to go for. And I think this takes a lot of the pressure off choosing the right idea, because we're just going to run some experiments and work out where to go. Yeah, I love that. And I think that reminds me of the, uh, like a, a frame that's really helped me and helped me to help others is first this, then that. So if you've got a few ideas and you're struggling to choose between them, well, you can do all of them. But which one to do first? Which one makes sense for you to start with first? Which one would light you up to start with first? You can always do the others later. Yeah, which is the quickest and easiest to get going? Which do you have the pieces for? Do you know someone who might actually buy it? There you go. There's the mini experiment. Just go talk to Dave. He might actually buy it and see what he says. Can you send me Dave's email address? <laughs> I think you've seen me do this in courses, Simon, and this is the magic of the live courses we have. There was one in Longmont where there was a particular lady that wanted to sell to someone. And I said to her, oh, so you know the person you want to sell to? And she's like, yes, I've met him a couple of times. Don't know him that well, but he's like the head of this big business. It's like, cool. Do you have his contact details? And she said, yes, a little more nervously. And I said, should we email him now? I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she emailed him right there. Like It took a little bit of help because worried about getting the wording right and what if it's wrong. But we, we couched the wording of, this is what I'm interested in. I'm really fascinated about this. I know this is a big problem for you. Can I talk to you about it? So it's not actually a sales email. It's an explore email. And that actually makes it easier because you're not actually selling yet. You're learning about the problem. You're learning about them. She sent the email. And I think that's the most important thing. The most important step of this mini experiment is talking to a customer. And we had this question below mini experiment, what's the right action to take? Because I think people get paralyzed by how do I actually start? What's the right thing to do? Don't I need a website before I speak to a human being? You know, I... I just feel this sort of rise of excitement hearing you tell that Longmont story, because I think like the real irony here for me is that 
this is often the bit that people get stuck on. But actually, it's just talking to people, isn't it? You don't go from, I've got a business idea to, I'm a double glazing salesperson in one step. And I think that's there's this myth around sales where lots of people think, you know, when, when you ask them the question, what does a salesman or a saleswoman look like? And they, they describe this, you know, car sales or uh, windows and conservatory selling or something like that. That's nothing like the process of selling when it comes to launching your own business. Actually, the right kind of action is to talk to as many people as you can as quickly as you can, even better if you think that they might be your target audience, right? Yes. Yeah, just get out there and talk to people and see what they say. And that brings us, I think, onto the start of the mini experiment, which is niching. And you had a little equation that you have for this, Simon. What's your equation that you have for the start of the mini experiment? Yeah, there's like, there's three bits to it for me. Like The first bit is the niche, which is what are you selling and who are you selling it to? And really focus down on one kind of product or one kind of service to put in front of one kind of target audience. That's the first bit. The second bit, the action that you take, the stuff that you've just been saying, you know, making a phone call, sending the email, sending the WhatsApp messages, taking some action. And third is the excitement levels, you know, having chosen something that lights you up. If you've got those three things in place, niche plus action plus excitement, then you've got your experiment. I love that. Write that equation down. If you are at the stage where you're going to test an idea, write that equation down. Niche plus action plus excitement equals experiment. And then we just need to get out there. And the right kind of action to take is sales action, which is just going to talk to people. And we do a part of the Rebel Business School process, which is who are you selling to? What are you selling to them? And how does it improve their life? And that's basically all you need to do to go and start a conversation is have an idea of who it is, what you're selling to them and how it makes their life better. But you don't go in selling that, you go in asking questions. Sales is about asking questions. And that I think is one of the biggest things people get wrong, Simon, is they start selling rather than asking. So I would like to stare into the eyes of everyone listening this and look at you and say, stop selling, start asking. I think what's really funny about that, Alan, is that this is an audio show, but I am thinking about like your eyes staring into my face whilst you're saying that. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's ever experienced that at a course where I stare at them will know exactly what happens. Yeah, six out of seven continents have seen the Donegan eyebrow and they felt the power <laughs> of the single eyebrow raise. Stop selling. You don't need to sell. You just need to ask. And I think that is a huge part of this whole thing is getting out there and talking to real life people. I think that's a massive, massive part of this. And we've done a couple of episodes on sales in the past is such an important part of this whole process. Episode 14 of season one was sales, the key to building a business with James Headspeeth and Patrick Venn. Like we need to start learning about sales. And that was a huge part of the conversation in the coaching series with Christina and Jamie was that focus on what are we selling, getting comfortable with sales. If you want to talk about sales and how it can feel uncomfortable 
listen to the coaching series with Jamie Dillon, where she's launching her art business. She actually ends up selling a comic book as a Kickstarter and getting comfortable with sales. We need to get comfortable with sales because if you don't sell something, you don't have a business. And I always remember this was my realization. I teach it now, but this was my realization for me, Simon, was if I don't sell, I don't get to do what I love. Yeah. And that's such a cool bit of leverage. And I bet that works for lots of people. Like, you know, you can talk about this for the next 20 years without doing what you love unless you sell. And if you sell, then you can start doing it right away. So we're running a mini experiment. We're getting out there and selling it. We're doing it. I think now is probably the place that one of our signature pieces of content comes because this is normally where people are talking about, well, I need money to get going in this. I need to buy a piece of equipment, buy inventory, buy stock. I can't run my mini experiment. Like if we take your chutney example, Simon, I can almost hear someone who's trying to scale going, I need a bottling machine. I need a cleaning machine. I need this. I need that. I need all of this stuff to run a mini experiment. So I need to borrow money. Otherwise I can never launch. So this would be where five ways to run your mini experiment without borrowing money comes in. And episode two of season one was five ways to build your business with no money. And I think that's the key here. You don't need to borrow money to start. You just need to find a way to borrow, barter. You need to find a way to sell before you create. You can sell some stuff to raise some money. There's so many ways to start without spending money, Simon. Yeah, I think that's where lots of people get stuck on. I think for every course that I've run, there's usually about five to 10% of the room that go, oh yeah, but that wouldn't work for me because... <laughs> and, and I love those conversations. Yeah, yeah. So I, again, that's like a roll. Okay, I'm rolling my sleeves up right now, and I'm going right. Well, we'll see about that. And and if at the end of that conversation, it still seems like the business idea they have, you know, often it's because a, a business idea requires equipment. It requires you know tooling. If it's a if it's a an invention or whatever, then you've got two options really. You've either got to blag your way into borrowing or you can you can also dial back your idea. And I think there's there's sometimes there are stepping stone ideas because you've got to start where you're at, not where you wish you were at. And it might be that, okay, you know, in two years time, the thing that you're going to do is this. And because by that point, you'll have some money behind you. You'll have some cus- a list of customers. What else can you sell the same audience that's linked to that's you know some kind of line of sight to your ultimate idea because if you stay fixated on the thing that you need money for then you'll be stuck forever sometimes you've got to dial back the idea and choose something that you can start right away and there's so many different options there's the maker studios where you can go and borrow 3d printing equipment and different things that have popped up around the world there's licensing the idea you don't even need to be the one who makes it you can find a company that wants to license your idea and earn money that way. The obvious one always with products is the Kickstarter idea. Sell before you create. Find a way to build a prototype, find a way to develop it, create a snazzy video, put it on Kickstarter. Market, market, market. Kickstarter doesn't work unless you sell it. And then you bring in the money before you actually create it. There is always a way to build it without going into debt. And one of the ones that 
I come across quite often, Simon. I remember this very clearly. I was running a course in Cardiff. I think it was with Jack and Henry, and they were watching me as this wonderful young guy. He was Greek. He was full of energy. He came up to me afterwards and goes, love what you're saying, but I need a degree to be taken seriously. I was like, this is interesting. And people think they need a degree. They need credibility. They need this and that to be able to start. Simon, how many degrees do you and I have together? Is it minus four? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Now, my uh, my uncle always used to say, look, I've got a degree in the bleeding obvious, Sam. That's all I need. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) I don't have a degree. I haven't got a degree, but that has never stopped me. I've gone and done it anyway. And I've taught entrepreneurship at Oxford University, at Henley Business School. I've taught on MBAs. I've taught around the world. I've worked for the largest companies in the world. And I've never had a degree. No one's ever asked me for one. You just need to get on and sell it and do it. And if you're good at what you do, that is worth 10 times what the piece of paper is actually worth. So let's move on. The mini experiment is about launching. Listen to the five ways to launch your business without spending money. Get started on that. Why do experiments fail, Simon? Why does it go wrong? There's three reasons. Well, there's there's loads of reasons, but I've categorized them into three. It's the three Fs, Alan. Oh, have you taken liberty with your Fs here, Simon? Possibly. (laughs) Two Fs and a W sounds a bit rubbish, doesn't it? But three Fs... Three F sounds much better. So there is a little bit of poetic license here, Alan. The first one and the main one, I think, is fear. I think people are scared. And I think that's why I get asked so many questions, and you do too at our courses, where people go, what about this? And what about that? And da 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 And that's because they're scared. Like, they don't really want to know about how to create a public limited company and release an IPO and go on the stock exchange. They don't really need to know that information yet with their chutney business. But they're asking me that question, like, but what about this? And what about if I was a social enterprise? What logo do I need? And what about, what if someone else has got my idea? And what if someone else has got my business name? And we ask all these questions. Like All of those questions I put under one category that says fear. Yeah. Designed to build certainty. They're trying to build certainty that the idea will work. And that, I think, is the biggest realization for me, Simon, is there is no real way to know if your idea works until you actually sell it. You could have the best idea in the world, but people might not want it. I know. And I think like the irony here is that we crave uncertainty in our lives. You just have to go out on a Friday night in Leicester. I live in central Leicester in the UK. And right outside where I live, there's lots of people experimenting with uncertainty. You know, they're out <laughs> having fun. They're, they're consuming substances. But you know, when it comes to a business idea, they go, oh, I, need, oh, I need all my ducks in a row before I can actually try this thing. And fear is the number one thing that I've spotted that holds people back. And I think that's why this de-risking starting a business by calling it an experiment, by not spending any money, by starting with the people that you know and trying to sell to them first. These are things that will, can give you a certainty, but in a different way. I would say to you, You don't need certainty when you're launching a business. You just need to test it. And if you couch it as a mini experiment, have a go, launch it. If you don't sell any, 
you don't have to admit it didn't work. You can just go, that mini experiment didn't work to myself. And then try another one and another one and another one until you have a go. So I do think you've just got to have a go. And I think there's this thing of if I do enough prep, the fear will go away. It never does. It never does. I'm still afraid. I still have those feelings. When I was launching the podcast, I'm like, what if people don't like it? What if it doesn't go well? But I have to put that out of my mind and just do it anyway. When I'm launching, we launched Rebel Finance School. What if people don't like it? What if it doesn't go well? What if no one comes? Like, who cares? I did a mini experiment. I ran one version online for free, tested it, and it went really well. But I was still afraid of launching it. I've just found a way of ignoring it and launching. So I think fear will always exist. It's the people who are able to act in spite of fear that will create the businesses of the future. I love that. Alan, I got a question for you. So thinking, take the finance school as an example. If the finance school idea hadn't worked, how would you have dealt with that now compared to how would you have dealt with that 15 years ago? Let's start with 15 years ago. How old would I be 15 years ago? I'm 43. I would be 28. That was actually when I was launching my business, Simon. 28 was when I started my training business was my first real time back into it this time. Back then, I probably would have watched movies and cried on the couch for about two weeks. It would have been very painful. It would have been difficult. I would have hated it. And then with a very bruised ego and doubt in myself, because here's the thing that I used to do that really caused me problems, Simon, is it's my idea therefore it's me they are rejecting. If it didn't work, it was personal. It wasn't the idea, it was me. And that caused me so much pain around sales amongst what I was doing. I remember Jamie Dillon on the coaching series saying it's different for artists because artists, you know, it's very personal. We're creating art. It's, It's us they're rejecting. I remember sort of standing up to her and saying, no, it's not. Every entrepreneur is creating something and it's your idea. It's your energy. For me, it was my courses, my stuff. And it can be very personal, very personal that you get rejected. But the thing I've learned is, and it still hurts, don't get me wrong, but later on in life, it's not me they're rejecting. It's the wrong time for them. It's the wrong idea. They don't see the value in it. I haven't sold it quite right. There's a million different things, but it's not me they're rejecting. And that knowledge that it's not me they're rejecting allows my identity and my soul to stay intact. Although it still does hurt a little bit every now and again. But yeah, yeah, for sure. it's like half an hour and then get the hell on with it. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, on we go then. Yeah. yeah. I had one of the biggest rejections of my life last year, which you know all about. I can't really tell everyone about it fully yet, but we were pitching a TV show to one of the largest streaming platforms in the world. And they said no. Uh, And that's one of the most painful rejections I've had in recent memory. But yeah, I recorded a piece for the podcast, which I've not released yet. One day I will, with me dealing with that rejection. It took me about half an hour. And then Katie and I went out for dinner. And you have to sort of bounce back because if there's one thing I know, you will be rejected. So like my antidote to the the fear thing is put on your brave pants, breathe deep. (laughs) 
and just go and do it anyway. I don't think I have brave pants, Simon. Alan, I'll get you some. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't think I will. I don't think I want to buy you pants. No, no, I think we should do a Kickstarter with pants that say brave and rebel entrepreneur on one side. For the Americans out there, pants in the UK means underwear, undergarments. For the South Americans, ropa interior. Yes, Simon does not mean jeans with brave written across my bottom. He means underpants. Let's see if we can sell some. Let's run an experiment. I think there's a business here, Simon. Rebel Brave Pants. I think there is. Yes, if you are listening to this right now and you would like to see Rebel Brave Pants come to life, message me (laughs) and we'll run a mini experiment and launch the Rebel Brave Pants. If you're a designer and you can see the image in your mind now of these, please message me. We'll see if we can create it. Moving on quickly. Moving on quickly from undergarments uh, to the second of the three Fs, which is about focus. And I think so many people we meet, and including me, this is one that I've struggled with. I know you have too, is when you're resourceful and or creative, you've got a bunch of ideas. The focus is, or lack of focus, is the thing that holds people back hugely, I mm. think. And almost as much as fear, people are paralyzed by the the paradox of possibility. Yeah. Let me go three Ps for you. <laughs> Which comes back to them trying to make the right choice. So they don't want to make any choice. I'm going to work a little bit on five of my ideas because I'm worried about making the wrong choice. And what if it's business three that is successful, not business one? So what they then do is they do 15% of their time on idea one, 15% on idea two, 15% on idea three, then they never make any progress on any of them. And they're doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the other. And they never make any progress on any of them because they're not focused. So for me, the real genius way of doing this is just pick one idea and give it 100% of your focus for the length of a mini experiment, which might be a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, and see if it works. Give it everything. Focus like a laser and you will know if it works or not, go all in, throw everything at it. If you've got a full-time job, do it in your break time, in your lunch time, after work, throw your energy into it until you know whether the idea will work or not. And I think this focus piece, lack of focus is such a big barrier to people ever getting to where they want to get to. And I think that stopped our business growing massively at the start is because we didn't focus, Simon. Yeah, I think you're right. And the sentence that I that I give uh, every course at, at one point, it's usually when I get asked a question by an artist or a creative <laughs> and they say, but Simon, I'm, the fact that I do seven different things is part of my, darling, I'm an artist. This is part of who I am. <laughs> right? And I say, well, it doesn't matter where you focus. It just matters that you focus. And you can still do all those seven things But the thing that you need to put something at the tip of your arrow, if you're going to fire it into a target audience, you can settle on the other stuff later, or you can keep the other stuff as a hobby. It doesn't matter where you focus. It just matters that you focus and you will not get results until you focus. And this is an experiment. So you're only focusing that closely for a starting period of time to know if that is the one thing that you're going to like dive in or not. So that focus is huge. And I had a few sort of things under this, which under focus is number one, mini experiments fail because people don't go all in on sales. Like they don't properly focus. They just ask a couple of friends, 
get some lukewarm feedback and stop. So focus, go all in on sales. Number two is they don't focus. They think about their ideas for years. So stop thinking and start doing, focus on one. Number three is they don't ask for the sale. So they run a mini experiment and they kind of loosely put it out into the world and go, eh, do you like this? <laughs> it's like that's never going to go anywhere. You have to actually ask someone to buy. So ask them a bunch of questions, get to know people, and then ask them to buy. Number four is their focus is in the wrong place, Simon. They focus on, I'm going to build my website for six years before I actually do anything. And they avoid doing the real work of sales, marketing, and talking to customers by focusing on something that is irrelevant. And in many instances, you don't even need a website to build a business. It is not essential. And the final one, number five, is they are so focused on this vision of the perfect business that is in the exact street that has the perfect logo that they cannot let go of it and start small and start where they are. Because if you can just start exactly where you are and run a mini experiment with what you've got, you can get to the final vision. It is almost impossible to jump to the perfect vision of your business without starting where you are. I love all of that stuff. Thank you very much. Which brings us to your final F, which is actually a W. <laughs> so fear, focus, and your effing well-being, right? These are the three things that, in my experience, prevent people from launching experiment and the reason why people fail. What I mean by well-being is... Can you imagine what it's like? And I know some of you listening to this have, have experienced this. Maybe you are experiencing it right now, walking around with a business idea or a real desire to grow your business, having held on to that for years and years and years without actually taking action. What's that doing for your emotional well-being? You know, I think there's something up here about entrepreneurship and launching businesses doesn't fix your mental health it doesn't fix your well-being in fact it puts it under more pressure but what you're going to do is by taking some action you're taking control of your life you know it's the matrix red pill and blue pill moment it like once you've kind of switched on to the idea that entrepreneurship is possible in order to get this mini experiment launched be kind to yourself and go okay i am going to focus because my well-being is going to be affected if i try and do 10 things at once I am going to launch my business and give it a run because if I don't, it's going to affect me until I do. I do need to create the time, the space, the energy. I do need to eat well. I do need to drink lots of water. I do need to make sure I get a decent sleep because if I don't, then my ability to create my own life is severely hampered. And I think like, it's a bit of a paradox here. I think entrepreneurship gives this incredible opportunity to design the life that you want. But in order to get there, you've got to be kind to yourself. You've got to do all of the things that will put yourself in the best possible position. You've got to look after your health. You've got to look after your emotional well-being. And here's the thing that I've discovered and realized is over the years, the progress that I've made in life and business is directly proportional to the amount of investment I put in, not necessarily money, time, into my personal development, like keeping on learning. And actually, I don't know about you, Alan, my ego used to think, 
I'm smart, I'm resourceful, I've got a great idea, that's enough to make it happen. No, it isn't. It isn't. And I think what entrepreneurship does, it exposes the areas of your life where you've outsourced your well-being to some other thing. And I think this thing about well-being, it's, you know, it's, it's a start of a, of a train of thought for me. But I think for 2022, this is something I'm going to be talking about much more because I think this does really hold people back from creating the life that they want. I love that. Absolutely. So a couple of thoughts just to add to what Simon said. The first is lots of people complain about not having enough time to launch a business. And I don't believe it has anything to do with time. It has to do with energy. It is unbelievable how many entrepreneurs come home at night that say that you've got a side hustle and you've got a full-time job. You come home, you're with the kids, you do what you do. It gets to like eight o'clock at night, you put them to bed and you're exhausted and you sit on the couch and watch an episode of whatever it is, Love Island, Narcos, Mexico, something to chill out. And it's not that you don't have the time, it's that you don't have the energy to put into the time. And that's actually Katie and I, our biggest frustration is when we get tired (laughs) I'm like, why am I tired? I hate this. I have stuff to do. I don't like it. Why do I have to lie down? But if I can focus on eating right, if I can focus on exercise, sunlight, sleeping in a quality way, it gives me more energy to be able to fulfill the hours that I have. And most people's limiting factor is energy, not time. So what can you do this day, this week, this month to create more energy that you can get more out of the hours you've actually got? Simon, you have something to add to that? Yeah, it's just you just touched on this thing about about motivation, another way of saying energy. And I think you're absolutely right. And what's interesting for me, I mean Gary Vee talks about about motivation. He sort of says, you know, if you've not if you're not feeling pumped, then you've got it's the wrong idea. I don't necessarily mm. think that's true. I think that's a factor. I think what it is for me, it's creating the space making a decision, having the commitment. There are things that you can do to boost your energy. I mean, literally put on a Nirvana album or Rage Against the Machine, mosh around the house for five minutes, and then you'll have more energy than you had five minutes ago. Yes, my version of that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe soundtrack. If I put on that, it fills me with energy, and I feel like I want to go out there, put on my Captain America shield and fight the world. fills me with energy. But you're right, there is a bunch of stuff that you can do to increase your energy. And as human beings, we we take action in our lives that affects our motivation. We stay up late watching Netflix, we drink alcohol, we smoke and so on. So there are things that you can do. So my question to everybody listening is, what is negatively affecting your motivation right now? And what changes will you commit to in order to make it so that you have more energy? I love that question, because if you can increase your energy by 10% in 2022, if you can increase your energy by 5% a year each year, instead of getting older, you'll get younger and you'll do more. Like Build that energy. It is phenomenal. And the final piece I will add is one of my favorite expressions. You don't get motivated to do something. You get motivated by doing something. So those of you who are sat on the couch waiting for motivation to suddenly appear, and shoot you in the face, like some kind of magic ray. I don't know, you're sat there and you're like, 
oh, I wonder if motivation will hit me today. I wonder if motivation will come. You'll never achieve anything. You don't get motivated to do something. You get motivated by doing something. So start. Write the first page of the website. Make the first message. Work with someone to design the logo. Do anything to start. That's how you find motivation. So we've got a couple more bits to do, Simon. Number one, I'm just going to touch on self-development very briefly. I think this has been huge for both Simon and I. And self-development can include listening to podcasts, learning about sales, all of these different things. The more courses I've been on, the more I've learned about sales, the more I've built my confidence, the more money I make, the happier I am, the better my life is. And Simon and I did an entire series, episode 44, 45, and 46 of season two was all about self-development. You can skip 43 with Is Self-Development a Scam with JT Fox. I'm not totally sure of his advice, but I like to have a different opinion on the podcast from time to time. And just 44, 45, and 46 is all about self-development. So moving on, the mini experiment is about finding that niche market, taking action to sell them something, getting excited, and running the experiment and seeing if people sell. If you're struggling with sales, listen to episode 26 of season two, which is to sell or not to sell? That is the question, which was with Jamie Dillon. It's one of my favorite episodes about the ups and downs of sales. And Simon and I did a great episode, episode 20 of season two, which was 10 ways to market your business for free, which will give you loads of ideas of how you can get your message out there to run the mini experiment. But after you've done it, after you've put your message out to the world, you've asked a thousand people to buy your product. How do you know if the mini experiment worked or not? And we came up with a structure in episode 11 of season two with Keith. How do you evaluate a mini experiment? We had three simple things. Number one, did you enjoy it? (laughs) Did you have fun running it? Number two, did your customers enjoy it? Did they like the product? Did they like the service? Did they like the chutney? Did they eat it? How did it go? And number three, did you make any money? Those were the three simple things that you can do to evaluate your mini experiment. What are your thoughts on evaluating a mini experiment, Simon? I love that you've mentioned the money bit here because at some point we've got to figure out how much am I spending, how much am I making in order to deliver this product or this service to the customer. And I think this is the point when you go, if I ask, answer those three questions and the answer is yes, how can you make sure that you understand the numbers enough to move it on to the next step? And I love, I love the fact that you said enjoyment first. I think that's exactly it. Your business is going nowhere if you're not enjoying it. What is the point of launching a business doing something you don't like? <laughs> like I never understand that. Like, but I, I, do, I do kind of get it in some ways. I, I have been that guy over the years that, in fact, do you know what? I'm contradicting myself. I still do this now. I go, oh, that's a really awesome idea. But just because it's a really awesome idea, that doesn't mean that you should do it. <laughs> like, you know, okay, here's one, one thing. I've been thinking about this. I mean, I'd love to run a little experiment on the, on the market in Leicester. I think it looks, it's so interesting. There are so many interesting people and interesting businesses. It's utterly chaotic. And I think this would be fun. I'm going to take my kids there at the weekends and we're going to sell something. Maybe we'll be selling Rebel Brave Pants. I, don't I know. love that. But, you should do it. Yeah, I know, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to find ways of, 
I mean, my six-year-old is up for this a hundred percent. Like he's already in. Like he's going. He's going. I'm going to bring stuff from my bedroom to sell the toys that I don't want anymore. I'm going to sell it. He gets it. Like he he's not overthinking about. Oh, what if people don't like my? He doesn't even have that thought process yet, which is incredible. We can learn so much for the little ones, can't we? The thirteen-year-old. Oh well, he's full of thinking, and that's Uh-oh. the problem. That, that's the problem that so many of us have, which is. This is why I love your sentence, stop thinking, start doing. I know we've said this before, but like this is the key to it. Like if you, you can distill all of the stuff down to thought, the reason you're not l- launching is because you've thought too much about it. Like we're giving you the nuts here. We're giving you the absolute steps. Just go do it. Just go do it. And I think, you know, launching this experiment on the market is going to be so, so interesting. But I think all of the business ideas that I've gone through, I've been going, oh, that's a really cool idea. That's a really cool idea. But with my experience now, I know it's not the excitement for the idea. It's the activity that will happen to deliver the idea. That's the bit that I really need to be excited about, don't I? That's the stuff that's the difference between the two. So did you enjoy it? Did your customers like it and enjoy it? And did you make money? Are usually linked, aren't they? Yes. It's usually linked between those two. It's like, will they buy it again? So did your customer enjoy it? Yes. Would they give you money again? No. There's danger there that there's not a business that will keep going. And it's thinking about, okay, I sold five and they've said they loved it. And I made 10 pounds on each one, but it cost me a month of my life. (laughs) Am I willing to put that time in to run mini experiment part two to go bigger? Have I seen enough signs of life, of money, of a return on energy that will enable me to keep going? And I think this brings us then, this is very subjective. This is completely up to you as you're the person running the mini experiment, completely up to you is at this stage, have you seen enough that makes you go, I'm up for going in again and going bigger? Or is it time to go, actually, this mini experiment failed? And it's okay to say that, like this mini experiment failed. So what do you do if your mini experiment fails, Simon? The first thought that goes through my head is it isn't a failure anyway, There's is no it? No such thing as failure. <laughs> well, I think you've already got some payback. You haven't got the payback in terms of some business results, but you have got some payback in terms of like you've got some stripes on your arm. Do you know what I mean? I think like, you know, people think that they're generals when they've got a business idea they go i'm a general and i'm the general of my own business i'm managing director i'm ceo i'm head of this and i'm head of that in my own business well in order to get a general you need to have you start at a junior rank don't you and i think what this does it gives you the learning like i always say to because when i was having my discussion over family dinner about chutney businesses i'm going it doesn't matter whether the business idea works or not what matters is that you take action because this is like bootstrapping a mini experiment is the entrepreneur's training course that money can't buy. This is the stuff that will give you the information, the inspiration, the practical knowledge that you need in order to launch experiment two, whether or not it's linked to experiment one, it could be something completely different. So actually, it's like like you say, like your, your language around experiment is that once you've run an experiment, you get results. 
sometimes they're the results that you want and sometimes they're the results <laughs> you don't want. Sometimes they're not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you go, well, I need to ask myself a question. Like you, you were saying, you know, have I got the return on my investment of energy? The energy that I've put in, has it given me the energy back in order to do the next version of it? Now, whatever happens next, it's probably not going to be a repeat of experiment one. You've probably learned something that you hadn't anticipated, which is already giving you some, uh, even if the experiment works, it still isn't perfect, is it? Because it's an experiment. There's still stuff to learn. So for me, it's just a sliding scale of like one end of the scale is like, wow, that was an incredible set of results. How do I apply my learning from this to make it even better next time? Or the opposite end of the scale is, wow, that was a dreadful set of results. How can I apply my learning to what I do next time? It's the same thing. It's just results. And I think that was one of the things I've noticed about both of us since since I've known you, which is just coming up 13 years, Alan, would you believe? Wow. Uh, Unlucky for some. I know, right? Lucky for me, of course, because you've changed my life. (laughs) Most of it for the better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah this like, course changed my life uh, for the better <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah, listen, yeah i mean depending on my point of view but i i definitely wouldn't swap it for anything i think like for me the bounce back ability you can accelerate through the stuff that we found difficult in the early days of business everybody listening you can accelerate through that stuff by tuning in really understanding what we're trying to say here because in the early days it took me two years to bounce back from a failed experiment why because I spent a load of money on it. It was risky. I called it my £23,000 MBA. You know, it's like, it's risky. <laughs> There's a reframe. That, yeah. Yeah, right. So I think like here, by just accepting, accepting, just accept the results that you get and ask yourself the question, how can I apply my learning for the next experiment? And that means that it won't take you two years to bounce back from an, a thing that doesn't go how you want it to go. It takes you two hours or 20 minutes, or two minutes, because you're immediately reframing this into a learning opportunity. So the answer to the questions, what do you do if the experiment fails, or what do you do if the experiment succeeds, are exactly the same. If it fails by your test, what did you learn from it, and how do you roll that into the next idea? And if it succeeds by your your frame of reference, things the same. What did you learn, and what do you roll into the next experiment? And how do you keep it going and grow the business? So it's exactly the same. Just one of them goes to running a mini experiment on a different idea. And one of them goes to running the next version of the current experiment and growing it into a business. So it's exactly the same. And we keep growing. So we're heading into the final straight here with what we're going to summarize over the rebel startup process. And there's one piece here, Simon. Everyone who comes along to our courses, me included, thinks they're an exception. This process sounds lovely and I will recommend it to everyone else, but it doesn't work for my business. Everyone thinks they're special and an exception. Why is that? (laughs) 
I think it's a combination of, I think it's both sides of ego, you know, like the, I'm great and my idea's great. And also <laughs> I'm really scared. So I don't want to tell anyone about it. You know, you always get like a handful of people at every cause that go, yeah, can you sign this non-disclosure agreement before I, I tell you about my idea? I'm like, oh, I know where this is going already. You're not going to launch ever, are ever. you? No, I have the exact same thing. As soon as I'm asked to sign an NDA, my heart sinks. Because they go, well, you're so protective of your idea, you'll never launch it. Yeah. You can have 100% of nothing, or you can have a sort of a, a lower scale percentage of everything. And I think, I don't know if this is a popular myth or if it's actually real, but I, a quote that's been attributed to Dyson, you know, the vacuum cleaner guy, is he doesn't worry when people copy his ideas. He only worries when people aren't copying his ideas. Now, I think the lawsuits might suggest otherwise, but but there is, isn't there? There is something about it here, which is people think that no one's ever thought of this idea. People think there's no one's ever doing anything in this space. And I think, you know, to me, the process that we're describing now is the thing that will unlock your idea. And it, it may well be that your idea is special, but it probably isn't. <laughs> You know, what's more important is it, what I do know is that it will never be special until you put it out there. No, that's when you get special. So the Rebel Business School only became special after we'd launched it, built it and done it for years. Then it became special because it was actually delivering results and making a difference around the world. The idea wasn't special. It wasn't special to create another business startup support service. Who gives a monkeys? No one cares until you actually get out there, do it, learn what works, help people and do something a bit different. But actually, you can't really find out what your difference is until you've started doing it and people start to tell you what is different about you. Yeah, and the path reveals itself to special later, doesn't it? Like imagine if, you know, we sat down in 2012 and went, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we ran our courses in... Colombia, Morocco, France, New Zealand, America. And you go, yeah, but is it scalable? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> no. a, it's, it's absolutely not. Well, you know, we, we certainly had a go and it was just the two of us. But uh, here's the thing. The path reveals itself to you when you launch. And even if you think you have happened across something special, you cannot possibly, because there are so many moving parts, you cannot possibly predict which direction it's going to go in. And I think some incredible things have happened, partly because we've created them and partly because as a result of creating them, new things happen. But none of it happens until you put it out there. I love that, Simon. And for everyone listening, please take this in the right way. You're not special. I'm not special. Simon's not special. None of us are. We just need to get out there and do things. And if you just throw yourself into it, have a go, take action and make it happen, you will create something special by doing it. But you will never create something special until you start. And that, I think, is one of the paradoxes, is that special comes from being unspecial. <laughs> I love that. Like the way, you can't see this, everybody, but Alan's eyebrows changed position when he said unspecial. It's almost like you're processing, is that a real word? Or it's not, not the care. right word. Anyway. I don't think it is the right word, but I'm hoping people understand what I mean at this point. I think so. Like, as my, my caveat would be, look, everybody listening, you are special at a spiritual level. At a spiritual level, you're super special. But your business isn't. 
until you put it out there and start making something. <laughs> yeah, and everyone, I don't know, we get we could get lost in this one. I hope everyone takes it as a positive meaning. Just start, just have a go, make it happen. That is where special comes from, is the actual act of doing and creating. So make it happen. And then the final piece that I'd love to talk about on this podcast, and then we're going to wrap up, Simon, is the energy over time. And I think this is what I never really got when I started was I thought I'm going to start a business and this has to be the one business and then that's it. Whereas actually most of us, like if you're listening to this and you're 50 and you're just about to start a side hustle, you've got 10 or 15 years if you want to, to build businesses. You have time and you don't have to like force this. You don't have to jump to the right answer. You can run a bunch of mini experiments. You can take your time. You can have fun and you can see where it goes. Not everything has to be built in a year. You've got time. Put your energy into it. Run experiments. Keep going. And if you do this process of test, learn, test, learn, test, learn over time, you will find something incredible and you will make something incredible and you will have fun doing it. It's probably not going to go right the first two, three times you do it. How many times have we failed, Simon? I don't have enough fingers to count on, Alan. Or toes or anything else. We should start counting on an abacus. You just need to have a go. And I think if you continue to press in over time, if you can just avoid being put off by rejection, avoid being put off by things not going right the first time and keep going, it's unbelievable what you can build. You know, that thing about avoiding rejection, you just reminded me, when it comes to the action part of this, you know, the selling part, just sending one email or making one phone call doesn't do it. And I think you could avoid being put off by rejection if you get used to rejection, which is, you know, send 50 messages, knowing that only a couple of them will probably come to fruition. Like I say, you don't go from zero to successful business in one step. One of the steps in this process is by putting it in front of lots and lots and lots of people. And also multiple times, just because someone rejects you this month, when you send them a cheeky email next month, say, I know this wasn't right for you last month, but how about now? <laughs> um, and I think like one of my favorite, when we were selling to housing associations in the early days there was a guy called Jason from one of the London social housing companies and I used to ring Jason every two months and every two months he would tell me he doesn't have the budget for this he's already got his own internal team we're not on his radar at all so I used to ring him for a chat because I know that at some point during the next one to five years my phone call is going to arrive at a time, which is perfect timing for him. But not only that, whether or not my product or service meets his needs, our relationship of trust is at a point where he's going to ask me a question or ask for help that's going to lead to something because there is nobody in our market that's still in the game with someone like Jason except me because I'm the only one that's ringing him every two months. And I used to ring him up and go, Look, Jason, I know you don't want to spend any money with me yet, 
and I know you're fed up of me ringing you, but I just rang to say, hi, how are you? Oh, by the way, are you ready to buy one of our courses? You're not. Okay, well, that's okay. I thought you were going to say that. In fact, I knew you were going to say that. How are you? What are you working on at the moment? I'm selling to him, but I'm not going from I've never heard of you before to I'm selling you a course in one go. I'm ringing you regularly knowing that it's going to take a number of touch points before this guy is ready to buy anything from us. And I think that's that's the thing that I would say about keeping going over time. What to me, I would distill that down to stay in the game, stay in contact with your potential customers, even if they've rejected with you. Be the one that's still there, because when they are ready, you'll be right at the top of their list. So, Simon, before I come to you for your closing thoughts and comments for everyone listening, I'm just going to run through the rebel startup method for everyone out there. So step one, idea generation. Come up with a bunch of ideas for businesses. Step two, idea evaluation. And Simon nicknamed it the slapdash startup. Choose an idea and let's get going. The scales we use are excitement and money. Choose your scales, whatever you want. Step three, run a mini experiment on those things. What's the right kind of action? Sales. Start with sales. Start for free. Get going. Launch it and see what happens. Step four, evaluate the mini experiment. Did you enjoy it? Did the customer enjoy it? Did you make any money? Step five, what do you do after the mini experiment? You distill the learnings and you either decide to run another one with that product or service or try a new idea. And then you keep going over time. And if you keep doing that, it's going to lead to something extraordinary. Simon, closing thoughts and comments for our audience after this epic Rebel Startup Process podcast. My closing thoughts actually are a little tip. And my tip is designed for those people that are listening who have run an experiment or maybe they've run several experiments and they're now past that and they've done the evaluation and they're going, okay, so I get it. I'm up and running. I'm in the game. How do I turn this into something that can replace my income? How do I make sure that this thing is successful enough to provide for me and my family to get me out of a job I don't like or whatever? And my tip is this. The difference between an experiment and a next stage business is to do with sales. But but what I've noticed is the upsell or the cross-sell is the difference between growth and not growing, right? So I think lots of us at the early stages are focused on one sale, and that's absolutely right because without a sale, we've got nothing. But once you've done that sale, the next step here, and, and this might work for some of you on a mini experiment, even on your first one, is to go beyond the first sale and think about, for example, bundling your products or services for a deal, you know, so if someone comes along to buy a jar of chutney, you go, well, a jar of chutney is is four pounds or it's five dollars or whatever. But if you buy three, it's this price. And I'm doing a special deal today, which is if you buy five, that you could buy them for gifts for your family. It's this price, which means you'd save X. You know, so I think to get your mind into a space of upselling, you know, selling a, an enhanced version a bigger version of the product or service idea that you've got or cross-selling, is there a product or service that you can offer that goes well with the one that you have? 
that would be my tip for growth. I love that. And you've sparked a million ideas for me, Simon. And actually, this podcast could go on for another three hours with us talking about how it could grow, how you focus on growth. And I've got so many ideas for you on that. We're going to save that for another one, because actually, there is so much to talk about with this stuff. The bit I wanted to end with is you will have heard me say so many times on the podcast, the extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Well, a little bit I'd like to add for you today is the extraordinary is rooted in a set of mini experiments. Because you won't find extraordinary until you've run a bunch of mini experiments, created some stuff, and then launched. So this is the process to starting your business, to getting going, and to building something extraordinary. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur, being part of the gang from Simon and I. We just wish you to start because in starting, there is boldness and magic that will start to build extraordinary for you. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.